Welcome, you're listening to A Certain Degree. My name is Nick, and I'm your guide to the world of amazing Orlandoans. This is a weekly radio show on WPRK featuring makers, artists, and professionals who are doing something neat. Consider subscribing to the show on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, and visit toacertaindegree.com where you can also find all of the past shows. Hey, that's more than 100 episodes. It's almost 200 hours of me talking to people. And my guidance counselor said I'd never host a podcast for more than 10 episodes. I sure did show him. And now on with the show. Andrew Bird on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. Good morning. My name is Nick. I do this every week. Well, I do a show called To a Certain Degree every week. I'm on the radio every week. There's other things I guess I do every week. I don't have to list them off, I don't think. But every week I also have a very special guest. And this week I'm delighted to have, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Delilah Smalley is here. Good morning, Delilah. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You might know Delilah from uh, teaching at uh, a school here in Central Florida. Uh, but you almost certainly know her from Urban Apothecary. Apothecary? Yes. Is that how you say it? That's how you say it. Great. I'm so happy I'm saying things correctly today. Um, I'm so happy you're here. Um, Having a teacher, having your perspective as an artist, and you you do so many different things in terms of what I would describe as art. Right? Is that accurate? Yeah. And now I'm actually teaching pottery too before teaching English. So I feel like even that art has moved into my daily life a little more. So are you sick of it yet? Um, No. I mean, I have 19 years experience with with doing pottery, jewelry. And even before that, like in middle school drawing, I feel like it's a a nice, safe place for me. Okay. Well, we'll get into all of that. But first, we got to get to know you a little bit better. So you and I have chatted. We were neighbors at a market here and which is probably where you've seen people out there who are listening have seen your stuff mm-hmm. so you're a fixture at like wills affair and a few of the other markets that go on around town you were just at seven bites yesterday and you were doing one even friday right um friday one i did not go because i was outside and it was very cold oh yeah i did not go to that. okay well great well so that one you didn't do but in general, you're doing a lot of these, right? Yeah, I try to limit myself to two a month, um, but I'm a regular vendor, too, at Market on South. And then um, I'm also doing Etsy and, and private orders and stuff, too. Very same. nice. Okay, so uh, again, I don't know you all that well. So mm-hmm. we're going to play a game. It's sort of a 20 questions game just to get your uh, an idea of how you feel about certain things. Okay. And so that'll help me get to know you better. Then we'll feel more connected. You'll feel comfortable loaning me money when I need it <laughs> and things of that nature. Does that sound okay. good? All right, I'm in. Okay, great. So the game we're going to play, instead of saying, so I'm going to say something, instead of it being like word association, I want to see if you're for or not for something. But instead of saying yes or no or up or down, you're going to say hall or oats. <laughs> Halls are great. They connect us with things. There's rooms in our houses that we wouldn't be able to get to without halls. Okay. Oats. I don't care for. I'm not sure what they're used in. Oat milk kind of bums me out a little bit because I'm not really sure how it's manufactured. So that's why oats are bad. All right. It has nothing to do with the band. The band is great, and both of them are really good. I just thought that Hall or Oats 
with me so far? Yes, I'm in. I'm here. Great. <laughs> yes, you are. That is an accurate statement. Resolutions, Hall or Oats? Oats. You're not for them. No, not not only on a yearly basis. I mean, you should always have goals, but I yep. feel like resolutions themselves are really half-hearted, and I feel like people don't really follow through, and then they just I feel like they're empty for a lot of for a lot of people. Then you just you forget them, or yeah. you stop going. You right. join the gym, and then it, the auto pay keeps going yeah. you know, for the rest of the year, and you're like, where did all my money go? Right. So oh, I that's f- right, the gym. I feel like you should regularly assess your life and, and make adjustments without. How regularly? Um, I mean, daily? I, I, I think daily. Yeah. And then um, at, at the minimum, like at the end of the week, like how did my week go? What do I want for my next week? What do I want to plan for next month? How do I want the year oh. to look? Like I think it should be more of like a regular check in with yourself and, yeah. and what you want, not just once a year and and kind of like eh, whatever. You have to check yourself before. Oh. <laughs> what? Are you gonna say? Oh, I thought you were gonna say the the saying. That's kind of a. a oh, was there a saying? The check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, that's a good saying. <laughs> yeah. Did you just make that up? Oh my god. That's gosh. awesome. This Carmen call did it this morning too. Amazon Go, how do you feel about that haul or oats? Um, Amazon Go is the new store that they're trying to, they're actually launching a few more of them. But the idea is you go in, you have your app turned on, there's no cashiers. You just walk in, grab the stuff you want and walk out. I haven't, I haven't, haven't used it, so it's no, hard. They to, don't have you one know, here yet. So you know, yeah. like it's hard to really say. I'm more yeah. of like an experiential, like haul or oats. Like, yes, I've done it, or oats. You know, don't do it. Okay. But um, I would say, in theory, I'm a little distrustful, so I would think people might steal things. Uh, it'd be very difficult. Everything is tracked. There's oh, a bunch is? of cameras. Yeah. It, I guess be- I guess I'm haul then, because you know, you know, people might just want to come in and, and get what they need and go. But uh, grab a bag of milk and leave. Yeah, it's a little impersonal, I guess. I feel like if you really want to do that, you could just get like delivery for your groceries or like pickup. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know how it would affect the job market. So, you know, uh, like with the cashiers. People, and, there would still be people working there. So it's not just going to be like an empty storefront or anything. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess I'm haul. I'm haul okay. on it. All right. Good. Well, yeah. I'd like to see you open one of those any day now how do you feel about uh zombies uh holler oats so as a writer as uh, uh your undergraduate degrees in literature you have your mfa in writing i'm just curious as a storytelling device as well i mean i think the only way it would be hall is if there's like a unique spin like kind of like 28 days later where mm-hmm. there's like something more tangible Sometimes it can be funny. Um, Sean, was it Shaun of the Dead? Shaun of the Dead, yep. You know, it's kind of like light and funny, but uh, I think it's really difficult to write one that is light and funny or interesting because it's overdone. It is very overdone. So I'm, I'm more on the oats, but like haul if you do it right, which is a few and far, few and far between, I okay. think. I like it. How do you feel about sandwiches, haul or oats? Um, haul all the way on sandwiches. Haul the way? Yeah, haul the way. <laughs> Deck the halls. What is your favorite type of sandwich? Um, it it's okay. The sandwiches aren't listening, so you can play favorites. Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it just depends what kind of mood I'm in. It's kind of like a taco. You can put whatever you want in there. You can mm. press it. 
or, or, you know, I just feel like. So you're putting, you're making a taco sandwich? No, but it has the same flexibility as a taco. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this vessel and you can put whatever you want in it. So I like to put, uh, like contrasting flavors in mine. So maybe I would have like, um, a little bit of mayonnaise and then I have this jalapeno chili Mm kind of sandwich spread. And then, um, I could toast it a little bit with some cheese in there and then you can layer it up with things like whether it's like salami or tomatoes or arugula has like a nice bite to it. A little bit of okay. pickles, dill I'm pickles. starving now. So if you can make <laughs> me a sandwich, uh, we'll be off the air in a second so that I can get a sandwich. I'm just kidding. <laughs> when you, well, when you borrow the money, I'll bring the sandwich. <laughs> that would be great. Thank you so much. Let me ask you, let's go back to technology for a second. What about driverless cars? Um, I'm oats on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that there's been a lot of research and and their safety, but I mean, I just don't trust it, I guess. Yeah. I'm oats on it because I know they say it it can sense things smarter and quicker and have a better reaction time. Like I've heard all the logistics between like why it is a good idea. So your head tells you that it's going to be safe, but your heart is telling you. No, no, thank you. No, <laughs> like my ears are hearing that it is safe, and my everything else is going. Uh, no, thank you. No, I don't trust a glitch, you know. And however nice your computer is over time, your hard drive fails. So That's when is point. the moment that it does? And and I don't know. I've heard some kind of jokes about people could uh, have their drinks and then have their car take them home. Um. There's, Which is still a DUI, but... There's a couple of applications like that. Um, there's also for people who are elderly um, mm-hmm. and may not be able to drive anymore, that it might be something that would help them get out more and, and be more social and that sort of thing Yeah, as I, well. So there's good... I, I think I'm with you. There's good applications and there's good yeah. reasons for it, but it's hard to trust something that hasn't really been proven yet. Yeah, for sure. And I, for those people, I would just say you can take a, an Uber, you know, yeah, get on it. You know, we both own stock in Uber, as I think everybody knows. So just take an Uber. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even those you can still have accidents in them, also. Yeah, of but. course. And by the way, just kidding, we're Lyft all the way. <laughs> so I just want to put that out there. How do you feel, Holler Oats, the beach? Oh, Hall. I love yeah? the beach. Yeah. Okay, everything about the beach, or do I, you, because there, sometimes I have people on. And they like the beach, and then they tell me, but I hate the water. Yeah, maybe some people, I mean, are really not into the sand or mm-hmm. um, certain beaches the way that they can be. But um, growing up here um, as an, a native Floridian, I I love the beach. And even as a child, I would go pick up seashells in the morning. And so I have so many um, positive connections to the ocean that you know, even the times like I would like to go under the waves when it would slam me like on the shore, like that's still positive for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love I love the ocean. OK, that's the first like 100 percent fall that I've yeah. gotten on the beach in a long time. That's great. Yeah. Springs and ocean, both love springs and ocean. Mm-hmm. So not uh, cricks. Uh, not in Florida so much. I, I, yeah. Maybe in a kayak, not to be in them. There's too Not many. To be, yeah, yeah, there's just too many. Too many creatures. Animals. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Vegetables and minerals in some cases. <laughs> Cursive. As an artist, 
So learning cursive or uh, being taught cursive, do you feel like there's a value? And as a teacher as well, do you think there's a value to learning cursive, Paul or Oates? At first, I did think that you meant the band. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay. we're going to go into really um, relatively obscure bands from the mid two thousands. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I, I would say I would say Hall. Yeah. I, I think I like the idea of teaching cursive, um, especially when they used to do it in third grade. Um, I feel like it kind of trains your mind and anything that you're challenged and focused, you know, like you're challenged by and and you're focused on it. Um, and you're working to perfect it, I feel like it's a good growth um, measurement for students. And then when they're an adult, if something's written in cursive, I have a lot of students who are teenagers that, that can't read it if it's in cursive. And I have to be like, um, just look a little closer at the letters. I'm not going to tell you. Just you decipher know? it, yeah. Yeah, like just try to figure it out. If I can do this with like middle English, you can try to figure it out. Um, and, and just with their signatures, I feel like it does help them be – like a refined citizen. So I'm into cursive. I like that. I like that as a, as the name of a band, (laughs) uh, refined citizen or something along those lines. That's good. Where do you land? So you have a lot of different interests and things of that nature. So where do you land on tiny houses, hall or oats? Uh, I'm hall. I'm hall on tiny houses. Yeah. I don't know if I could stay anyone, uh, stay in in one for an extended period of time myself because I get a little claustrophobic. Maybe if it was like super organized and, you know, some of them do look more open and, but I I like the idea, the flexibility of them, how little space they take up Mm -hmm. as far as like for the environmental impact. And then um, some of them are really cool in, in that you can travel in them. Um, so So just on the wheels and pop it on and get out of there. I do love, I love that idea because I am kind of like, oh, I love to travel. And so, yeah. And and, and in me, separate from me, I think just in general for humanity, it is, it's a cool idea. And I think it's, it's good for. What about the underlying philosophy behind it? So you're right. Having a tiny house can be, um. What 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 but what about the idea of, you know, just living a minimalist life, like not having a lot of stuff and things of that nature? As an artist, um, that might be hard because you have, you know, you need a studio, you need things to, to work on. And, you know, sometimes uh, I think artists sometimes like the stuff they make and it's hard for them to give it away on occasion. Yeah, I, I don't so much keep my th- keep my things. And I, if I'm not using something regularly, regularly for the most part, I, I get rid of it. I'll donate it. Um, in my house, I have like a workshop built into my house. So I have, it's like the smallest room of my house and I made a suspended L desk and I just try to, um, I'm actually working on like reorganizing that now. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's really good as far as for your health wise, a lot of people are allergic to dust mites, not keeping things just click clutter and I don't like things that aren't being used. So like with my clothing or with things I make or with, you know, I always, if I'm not using it, I want it to go to something. So I try to always just kind of like the, 
kind of old analogy of like trimming the fat. Mm-hmm. And so like just whatever is not bringing me, bringing me joy or like whatever is not like adding to my my life. Right. Then, then I will give it to somebody else. All right. So that makes sense. Where do you land? Okay. So we have ride share, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've, we've already said we're, we're both lift. Yes. So let's (laughs) go out there and and lift it up. Is that the catchphrase? Cause it should be, that should be their tagline. Um, we have the bikes around town. So now we have some electric assist bikes around town that you can rent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're they're sort of the ride share. How do you feel about the electric scooters that started out in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley area and is now making its way eastward? So it's same type of thing. You swipe a card or you put it on your app and then you can ride uh, these electric scooters around town. All or um, oats? I mean, do they verify that you have a license? I mean, I guess if you have... Uh, if you have a credit card, I think that's all they're looking for. Um, you concerned like some kids might hop on there? Yeah, like maybe somebody who doesn't know how to drive mm-hmm. could take their mom's credit card and go jump on. Oh, and these are like little, like the Razor scooters, like the tiny ones, not like a Vespa. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. haven't really seen them, so... Yeah. I don't know. Then you'd ride that on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I just don't like when kids ride those on the sidewalk in general. So I'm just going to go oats. Okay. So <laughs> if you don't like it when kids are riding them, then adults riding them. Or no, I, I don't like people riding those things on the sidewalk. I feel like people should walk on the sidewalk and or jog or rollerblading. You're still kind of a human going. I feel like sometimes those things, they, they run people out of the way. Yeah. Now there are a lot of adults who listen. So I just, you're saying that they shouldn't ride scooters, but in general adults are okay. Most adults. I mean, mm. I like some adults, some children, some animals. So okay, there are a lot of good adults. All right. Well, let's not name names because <laughs> I think that's where you were going. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to get anybody uh, upset this early in the morning on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, yeah, by the way. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Uh, live action movies, Hall or Oats. And what I'm thinking about here is specifically the Disney ones that are coming out in droves. So the remakes of. Beauty and the Beast. I just watched the Lion King trailer. Those sorts of things. Yeah, I I did like. I'm. I have to think. I think I'm Hall on this because okay. um, I think they did Beauty and the Beast really tastefully. And um, growing up and and watching those as a kid and watching Belle and being like, hey, I read too, and it was kind of a rare thing. And then to be an adult and and see. Um, that transformed and for also for it to be, you know, I think they've been really good with who they've chosen as the actresses mm-hmm. um, or actors, actresses, because I, I think that could make or break it. Um, like if you had Kristen Dunst or something as Belle, maybe not so much wouldn't have worked, but having like Hermione who was, you know, she also played in um, a couple other movies where she's, you know, I feel like the reputation of, the actress the that they chose. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, and, and the so way that Emma they've Watson's done it. Emma Watson's ability and uh, right. her chops, her acting chops. Exactly. I think it adds and like a layered, sing. it adds like a layered sentiment to it. Um, and they, yeah, I feel, I'm, I'm, I'm haul on it. I like them. Okay. <laughs> All right, very good. And uh, let's just end it here for now. Cobbler, the dessert, not the person who fixes your shoes. Um, I'm, I'm hauling on cobbler. I especially love peach cobbler. 
That's my favorite. That's some good stuff. Warm uh, it up, a little ice cream. I was going to ask about the ice cream. Okay, good to know. Yeah. What is your favorite dessert? Um, I I really like creme brulee. Nice. I like the, to crack the top. Well, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> it's a really satisfying, like when it finally cracks. be nice just to get a number of those little sugar discs and eat those. <laughs> Just burn them with a torch. You yeah, can, yeah, you yeah. Do and that. then take it off the creme brulee <laughs> and then reburn it. And then, mm. yeah. Huh. I don't That's know. a I delicacy. It, but it's kind of, it has that kind of burnt caramel flavor. I think you really need the custard to balance it out. All right. Well, maybe that's not a great idea. And we'll do bad <laughs> business ideas later. So instead of muffin tops, it's uh, creme brulee tops. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Delilah Smalley, where can we find out more about Urban Apothecary? Um, I am currently reworking my website with new with new pictures. Okay. Um, when it's up, it'll be urbanapothecary.org. It's back up. Um, I post a lot on, on Instagram just as a way to update with stories as far as like where I'm, what I'm doing for events or special requests. So my Instagram is urban underscore apothecary. And then uh, Etsy would be the place to go and also purchase? Yeah, Etsy. Or if you see something that you want that's not on Etsy, people message me sometimes on on Instagram. Um, My Etsy store is Urban Apoth. And then also Urban Apothecary is on um, Facebook too. So there's several ways I can be contacted. Yeah, so if you search for Urban Apothecary. Yeah. And you'll find it. And we'll talk a little bit more about the jewelry because I think it's, it's incredibly unique and it was something that... I remember walking by and, you know, I talked to a lot of vendors to the point now where my kids don't want to come with me to (laughs) any kind of markets. They're like, I would think as a kid, I would want to go to these things and see the stuff for myself. But Mm -hmm. yeah, when your dad is going to stop and talk to everybody for 20 minutes because, uh, you know, he's into the stuff Mm -hmm. like, yeah, dad, is it going to be one of those things where you're talking to everybody? I don't want to (laughs) go. So, uh, but yeah, I was very drawn to your stuff because I think it's very unique. So we'll talk about it because I think, what's the best way to do something and really talk about somebody's art than describe it on the radio? Okay. Yeah. Is there a better way to do that? I mean, maybe seeing it in person or holding oh. it. Um, but you know, we can, we can try to talk about it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. Let's listen to beach house. This is a song called new year because the new year is coming up. I like beach house. I'm into it. Okay, great. Delilah Smalley on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You look, my name is Nick, by the way. Did I ever say my name? Do I say my name? Should I say my um, name more? Do you know what my name is? Nick. Yeah. Nick. Okay. I'm Nick. You're listening to a certain degree. Today is the day you go into your podcast provider of choice and subscribe to this podcast and maybe even leave a rating or review. I know this type of ask is the podcast equivalent of an NPR silent drive, but if you do this, Nick will thank you personally. He will bestow gifts on you. He will. Leave an honest rating or review and he will send you a typewritten letter with a bonus of some kind. Now back to the show. Beach House on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was New Year. Uh, My name is Nick. It's almost the new year. You're listening to a certain degree. Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, I'll be back uh, next week uh, for New Year's Eve as well because I feel like Early in the morning is the time you want to celebrate New Year's Eve. I think that's accurate. Delilah Smalley is here as my very special guest this week. Delilah, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much again. 
I'm just going to keep thanking you. <laughs> I mean, Is thank okay? you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I never know when people are tuning in. So I don't want them to think like if somebody just tuned in and said, oh, my gosh, Delilah Smalley's on. That's fantastic. She's an incredible artist. She makes wonderful jewelry. Uh, she's uh, just a wonderful person in general, like a teacher and all these other things that she does. And you didn't thank her for being on. <laughs> So that's why I'm continually thanking you. I'm thinking of that one person that's out there that's tuning in that might think I'm a jerk. Yeah, well, you've been more than gracious. So, Oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you it's so much. It's only because of that one person that I think is out there <laughs> that may or may not be my mom. Um, so let's get into it. Let's dig in, Delilah, into your life, into your... No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> when... Okay, so... People can see you at different markets. They can go online and see you at Urban Apothecary. They can search for that and look at your jewelry um, and a little bit of your pottery and some of the other things you're doing, like if they're looking at Instagram. Mm -hmm. Let's take it a step back. Is When did you start drawing or when did you start uh, making things? Like what? How, when did that become important to you? Um, I first started making things um when I was a, like a smaller child, when I was about eight or nine, I started mm -hmm. um, finding scraps of wood people would throw away and building tree houses. So that's kind of like where I started. I also turned my shed into like a little clubhouse, with like a little library in it. And I would go in there and I would, my mom was a waitress and a lot of her, um, sometimes I would go with her to work and like help her fill up the salt shakers and do kind of her, her side work. And people would come in and talk to me um, and they would bring me things like, books and, and poems. And so even like little things like the depth of the salt shaker, making it accurate, little things like that, I feel like conditioned um, elements within me in art. And then I used uh, building and, and my little escape of my library and I would read in there. And then um, I started learning how to draw in school mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed that. But before that, I'd also make like little flower crowns. I would find, um, I found actually, I was so uh, thrilled one time when I was I was nine, I found two four leaf clovers and I, I used to press those in my books. So I would like find things in the outside and press in my books. Um, so I feel like all of that stuff is kind of cumulative towards developing, um, I don't know, your artistic like sentiments bent, and yeah. yeah and just kind of what you're drawn to and then I, I started officially making more like advanced things like with pottery and jewelry when I was 16 um I started with drawing in like a, a 2d class in mm -hmm. my sophomore year of high school um an art teacher saw me in the hallway and he was like you need to take drawing and I was like um <laughs> and he's like no you need to take drawing and I was like okay and the next year I did. So that was like when I was a freshman, he came up to me and, and my sophomore year, I started taking the drawing class. So. So how, and you're an art teacher now, you were teaching English and now you're an art teacher uh, at a local high school. Mm -hmm. And how important or how um, influential was that uh, step in your life in terms of like, this is not only a creative outlet. This is not only a passion project. This is something that's important to me. I, I think that even really hit me like my senior year in high school. By yeah. the time I was a senior, I I'd already had like photography. I'd had graphic design. I spent a lot of time like developing photos and, you know, prints. I was a lot, I was featured a lot in the school newspaper, like on the cover, like 
torching things because I just got so narrowly focused on it that by the time I was a senior, I had pottery for half the day. I was an exploratory teacher. I was selling work. I was kind of scared about it. Like people would be like, oh, do you want to have like some of my teacher's friends as far as other potters would want some of my work in the gallery and I'll be like, "Eh, no, it's okay. (laughs) I was kind of scared of it. But um, yeah, I think that passion really set in especially in my senior year and I'm still in contact with my pottery teacher and oh wow um yeah just kind of he's going to come do a demonstration at my school which I'm really like just honored uh to have him there but yeah I don't know I feel like that's just only gotten deeper in my life so from the time I was a kid it just gets like deeper and wider and um whether or not like before when I was like 20 22 21 so last year, year yeah, before. like 14 years ago. But um, yeah, I worked at a bank and even then I was still taking pottery classes, like doing, I had my wheel since I was 19. I, I'm always making something, even if I, my job isn't related to it. It's kind of what I mean. So it sounds like, and, and knowing your background a little bit, you tried a lot of different things, including photography, including writing. Um, yeah when did you start focusing it down or do you feel like you have? Um, I, I still do uh, photography. Yeah, yeah, I still do all of them. I think for me, it's just like where it's the, the inspiration is at that, at that time. And I do plan things out um, as far as like, I'm going to throw this day or trim this day or devote this time to writing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you so know, like I'm an off- art ADD. Uh, maybe OCD. Like it's more like scheduled out and planned, but then wherever the inspiration, I'll also take that into account. Like, okay, I have this idea. I really want to make this. And so, uh, or if you're scheduled for writing and you're just not feeling it for some reason. (laughs) Since I graduated, I haven't scheduled writing enough, um, with my master's. So I I need to make more time for that. I do it for Borough Press. I'm the art editor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I have like an art deadline or if I see an artist and I want to research that or I interview them, that's more like when I, that will inspire the deadline. So it's not just like you need to write on Sunday from four to six, you know, it's, so it's more organically, uh, scheduled you know, I could always use more content for the radio show so if you want to write oh. anything for that um I'm good I'm, I, I <laughs> <laughs> oh that was subtle yeah, <laughs> no I think you got it you really oh thanks. I wouldn't yeah no thanks. I don't think you, you need change me a thing? no I wouldn't maybe the guest you might want to you know <laughs> a different guest besides me but okay I'll um, look into that yeah see if anybody's available week. on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. yeah so um, let me ask you about teaching then, because it seems like it was a very important part of your growth. It was a very important part of uh, that sort of interactivity. Is that kind of what led you to teaching or how did that come about? Um, I started, well, I've always been like, I, I helped raise my sister and mm-hmm. I babysat a lot as a teenager. So I feel like that's also always been kind of like within me, I guess. Um and so when I used to babysit, I would always bring science experiments and I would bring like bookmarks and we're going to paint these bookmarks and kind of encouraging that in children. And, and my sister, I taught her how to swim. I taught her how to read. Um, I helped teach her how to walk. And so just I've always kind of had that within me. And then when I was in college, um, I, my first major was anthropology. I was really into like cultural anthropology and I wanted to travel. And um, when I was 22, I taught English and um, in Thailand. And so I was like, well, just trying to 
do what I can within what we have that would make me happy. And I ended up switching my major. I only switched once from anthropology to, to literature because I was looking at like the employed, employed rate mm-hmm. of the majors. And I was like, well, I can do everything I want with the other. And I, you know, I love books and I love literature. Um, I was kind of apprehensive about the idea of getting a, a degree in, in art. So I just didn't feel like it was a very pragmatic thing which a lot of people I'm sure very much disagree with me and, and, and are valid in that. But um, yeah, I just, I think we're, I, I think we're conditioned to that. I think we're conditioned to think that we need a degree. Um, yeah. And especially recently we're conditioned to think that it has to be in a certain realm yeah. in order to be of value. Well, and for me it was very important um, that it's something that would be of value, you know, because I'm a first generation college student. And mm-hmm. so I didn't really have, any sort of guidance on that. And I just wanted to make a good decision. And so, you know, anyway, I love, I love books and I've always read and, you know, it was kind of a natural pragmatic. And then I I started subbing when I was in college. Um, I had my son when I was younger. I had him when I was, you know, I turned 24 a week after I had my son. So I needed practical ways to also still pay my bills. And I started, yeah, I started subbing and I, and I really had the flexibility for Mm -hmm. my, for my class schedule and then I tried all different grades, grade levels, and I've always loved children. So it just was more kind of natural, I guess. Um, and I, when I first graduated, I started teaching uh, middle school. Mm-hmm. And so it was funny because I, I feel like when I first started subbing and started teaching, um, everybody kept telling me, like, this is the hardest. Like, don't let it break you. Like, you're going to teach middle school. Don't let them know it's your first day subbing. And I was like. Wow. Yeah. Like, they really, like speak some fear into you and like, don't let them smell the blood. Like, you know, like don't let them know you're, you know, if you're nervous, you know, yeah, they're going to, they'll eat you alive. But I never had that. And I, and I, even as a sub, I was able to get them to do their work. And so I became like a regular at several local schools. And I feel like if you just treat them, I, I felt like this was babysitting too. Like if you just treat children, like, like listen to them and like treat them like little people instead of like, dismissive like some people a lot of adults talk at children instead Mm -hmm. of like with them and so you mean at like ampersand like on twitter (laughs) just like blah 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 not even taking their feedback into account and so i feel like when you stop and listen and actually like give them a reason to listen to you they do and they rise to the challenge you know if so yeah i don't know i just kind of like little by little i was like you know I really enjoy this. I kind of, it, I, I like teaching them new things and, um, and then watching them grow. So I, I, yeah, I started off my first full time was teaching, um, at Lee middle, helping out with their IB program. Mm-hmm. And then, um, now I've been at my school seven years. So how important is it for you to have switched? You were teaching, uh, English, I think, relatively speaking, full time. And now you're art full time. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, How important was that transition for you? It was a little, I think a little scary at first because yeah. for English, um, you know. More I, or less what you studied in Yeah, college. I have my degree in yeah. that. I, have, I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's a little bit more natural to a lot of people. Most people have, you know, you go through school and you've been reading and you've been writing. So even if someone might not like English at first, I can find a way to get 
uh, get them to get it. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully like with a lot of students of mine, um, they actually, they'll think they don't like books, but then I can find things that they do like, and I can kind of measure their growth. And it's, it's more, I don't know it, for, I, I'd done it for so long and I became like a lead in my department. Um, so then to step away from being like one of the representatives for the school and one of the leads to being like, I'm going to try to teach them pottery. And I, I feel like it's a little bit, it's a little scarier. Yeah. Like how, how do I, like, even if you know how to do something to teach someone else is so different. And so like, where do I start? And so I started kind of tracing back to like my teacher and what we did and, um, reading different, you know, ideas on on how to get them to learn the skills uh to grow from but it's been really fun it's been really freeing and i was a little nervous that when i was on the wheel or when i would be doing things that i would uh have you know 15 you know sometimes if you're training somebody and you have like a bunch of people staring at you doing the thing then you're like you know um but actually it it didn't it, it wasn't it wasn't bad. So, so and in theory, you're learning more about it, right? Because you're doing it on a day-to-day basis and teaching helps you understand it better. Well, I mean, I, I do have um, 19 years experience with pottery. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, like, when even when I was in high school, I was making glazes. A lot of people have never done that. I used to stay all night firing the salt kiln, firing wood kilns, raccoon. Oh, wow. I did, like, copper mat in high school, which is a very advanced process. So, um, let me ask raccoon, you. Uh, horsehair raccoon. Okay, I'm. I'm. That sounds almost delicious. So I'm not really sure exactly what that is, because I, I thought you said ragu. Yeah, um, <laughs> ragu. <laughs> what about? Okay, so you're excited about it. You were nervous, but why was it important? Like, why did you? So you've explained that you know you were you knew what you were doing in English. Um, you were good at it. Why was it important for you to switch over to art? I mean. English is also art with the, True. you know, with yes, the writing. So I, I, I don't yeah, mean to... I, I feel like it's a, just a different vein of, yeah. of art, but yeah, I, I feel like for me, um, one reason that it's important is because I've always, uh, I've always loved pottery, even in, you know, even in, in high school, I would take night class at my school, um, just to do it, do it more. Like I would spend half the day my senior year doing pottery and then I would pay my own money to like take night class. And so just to be able to, um, I feel like it's good for students to have somebody who is kind of a, an expert in their area mm-hmm. um, because then they can kind of have something to look up to and, and, and to help see like what's possible. And so in a lot of ways it's important because um, the impact that my pottery teacher and my art class has had on me as a, as a young, you know, as a young woman how much that transformed me in my life. I feel like it's important to be able to have like the chance to do and teach art full time. It kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a really like, (laughs) I guess it's hard to put into words, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like an, it's kind of like an homage to all the work that everybody has put into me to develop all of my skills so that I can pay it forward and help them find their ways, you know, like with urban apothecary, it's kind of like urban medicine. And in a lot of ways, art is healing. And like a lot of times it builds confidence in strange ways for children that, um, maybe other things don't challenge them in that same way. Like maybe they're really good at 
science and like really literal things. And then when they have something like art and especially clay, because even though um, you can do a lot with it, it, it's a science too. And so I can bring right. a lot of other things into that. You mentioned making the glazes and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, that's something that chemistry. is chemistry. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so, um, and then teaching them like the functional things of like how to slip and score, how to attach it. And then, you know, it, it's a, there's a time limit. You have a certain amount of time to get that skill before, you know, the clay can either dry up or, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like giving them those challenges and just to pay it forward for everything that my teacher gave to me mm-hmm. um, and everything that education gave to me. So it feels really important to kind of switch from, although I did, I feel like I, you know, put my best for my best forth in, um, in English and I still kind of help out with the English department. Um, being able to switch to art is very freeing and it's kind of like given me more creative uh, inspiration to like just be able to say, okay, here's how you center and here's how you throw and, and, oh, you want to make this here? I can show you how to make that. And like for a lot of them, it's their first art class that they've Mm -hmm. ever had. So yeah, it's been really like a, a privilege to kind of have that opportunity to like pay it forward and just have more creative space um, less time scoring essays and more firing kilns and, and showing them like, this is how this interacts with this. And also this is how this can apply to yourself. Maybe if you're getting frustrated with this, what does that, you know, kind of helps them re- reflect and, and grow from a creative process standpoint. That's yeah. always going to do that. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't seen the movie that I'm wondering, <laughs> is there uh, a concern with ghosts and um, pottery? Because from what I understand, the movie Ghost had a ghost in it. Yeah. And there was mm-hmm. pottery related to it. I don't know if they're connected. Again, I haven't seen the movie. Okay. Well, um, fortunately, you know, my, my students have made some jokes about Patrick Swayze, and I was a little surprised that they knew, mm-hmm. like, who he was. They have Was many, he in the movie? Yeah, yeah. He okay. he is the ghost, and he comes up behind okay. her when she's on the Spoiler wheel. Alert. <laughs> but in my room, um, the kiln room and the storage room are on automated timers. So, like, if no one's in there, the light... The light goes off, oh. so it's motion detected. So if you go to like put something so on the there shelf, is a ghost. sometimes the light will go off, and it's really funny to watch the kids kind of jump about that. All right. So speaking of ghosts, uh, we have a very special guest, a classmate of yours, Rebecca <laughs> Renner. I believe you both uh, did the MFA together. Uh huh. Okay. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Okay, good. So far, I'm, I'm speaking the truth. Yes. So she's here to tell us some Christmas stories. And the reason I say ghosts is probably, I would imagine Ebenezer Scrooge is going to be in there somewhere. Okay. So would you like to hear her take on some Christmas stories? Yes, I would I would love that. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm going to play it either way, even if you yeah, didn't Yeah, no, at to. first I thought she was going to come out. And I was like, wait, where? she's here. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, no, she's here. She's waiting in the wings. <laughs> and she's going to tell us these stories. Okay. Okay. So these are absurdly abridged Christmas stories written and starring uh, Rebecca Renner. So does that sound right? Starring is a little... It's a little strong? Um, maybe read by. Okay. But yes. All right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to give her credit. That's fine. No, no. Written and read by. You know, like written and... What do they say when you do the audiobooks? Like written and performed by? Uh, I don't know. I, think I don't maybe... listen to audiobooks because I don't believe they're books. 
you never bossy pants or Mm-mm. I heard Michelle Obama's becoming is also like mm. read by her. No, I can't. I think they say written and performed by or okay. written. And, anyway, starred. Sorry. Semantics. Anyway, Rebecca Renner. Rebecca Renner, everyone. Are you stressed this holiday season? Don't have time to read all the important Christmas stories. Don't fret chums. I'm here to help you out. With our seven absurdly abridged Christmas classics, you can learn everything you need to know in under three minutes. One, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Infamous miser trips balls, buys a goose, and crashes an employee's Christmas dinner. Wait, that's not... Shh, Nick. Speaking of mid-stage capitalism, next we have The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Two lovers face existential dread from the impending holiday. Super relatable. But instead of having a conversation, they turn to consumerism. Irony ensues. I suppose that was closer? Nick, I'm recording. Three, How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. Local hermit robs unsuspecting town blind. He experiences a cardiac event, but his premiums are too high, so he gives everything back, and the bamboozled townsfolk welcome him as a hero. No. Four, The Elves and the Shoemaker by the Brothers Grimm. Okay, so there's this guy who makes shoes, but then he stops making them and outsources his business to tiny unpaid factory workers who are forced to labor at odd hours at an undisclosed location. How seasonal. Have you even read these? Of course I have. Five, The Nutcracker by E.T.A. Hoffman. A little girl is kidnapped by an actual rat king. An actual rat king, Nick. This one's like Les Miserables meets H.P. Lovecraft. Not recommended for children. Just stop. I'm almost done. Six, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Radioactive deer saves Christmas. Seriously. Last one, I swear. The biblical Christmas story. Xenophobic Galileans refuse to welcome immigrants, even a certain pregnant mother you may have heard of. She has to give birth in a friggin' barn, and if that's not enough to ruin her day, here come the drummers. If welcoming immigrants is that hard for you, stick to the awkwardly abridged version of Christmas. And happy Festivus to the rest of us. Rebecca Renner, everyone. You can follow Rebecca at Rebecca Renner FL on Twitter or Rebecca-Renner.com. Thanks, Rebecca. So she left. Well, I mean, at least she came. Yeah. yeah. That was nice of her to Mm -hmm. just stop by, tell a couple of stories. I mean, she's got a lot of stuff to do on Christmas Eve. You know, she's really busy on Christmas Eve. That's weird. Right, because I, you know, who I've never seen together at the same time, hmm. Rebecca, Santa Claus. <laughs> You've seen Santa Claus? Yeah. Really? Have you seen huh? Santa Claus? Uh, I mean, I've seen people dressed as Santa Claus. You know what's weird is, do you think back to all the kids who would say, "Oh, I saw Santa Claus," like I, I waited up and I saw him, or I, I snuck out and I was hiding and I saw his boot go by. Do you think that? They, do you think less of them for having lied when they were children? I don't, I don't think any, I don't, I mean, I never heard anyone say that they did. I probably would have said they were lying then. 
So you would have called them out at that point. Yeah, I, w- I would yeah. have. I don't remember anyone ever. Maybe mm. you know. Sometimes you don't. You do things or you hear things you don't exactly recall specifically. But like for me, sometimes no. I don't remember. <laughs> for me, sometimes if I don't remember something, uh, I still respond the same way. Yeah. Remember so, that time you said I was great. I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, I said that a lot. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, let's play a song. We're already at the end of the first hour. Yeah, time's flying. I know, right? Are you going to be okay? Um, I think so. I'll just maybe just take a little nap over here and then. Whatever. Oh, I meant like not getting to spend more time with me. Oh, I'll I'll just come back. Yeah, there's a nice window right here. I'll just come, you know, stroll by, wave a little bit. Great. Yeah, I'll see you at the markets too. It's you know. Not- creepy at all. Uh, so let's listen to some Fishman's. Uh, this is Long Season on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. If you need a little pick-me-up, a little more pep in your step, go to your podcast provider and subscribe to your daily dose with Bob and Nick. The Bob in the show is Bob Kajas, an improv host and teacher at SAC Comedy Lab and a motivational speaker and organizational coach. The Nick in the show is the same Nick as this show, so you already know someone there. Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick comes out every weekday, five times a week, and every episode is less than 10 minutes. Perfect for your ride to work, or from work, or near work. Now back to the show. And Radiohead with Weird Fishes slash Arpeggy. Arpeggy? I'm not sure if that's some sort of Italian musical thing. Maybe it's faster. Maybe it's slower. Good morning. My name is Nick. Let's not talk about musical things we don't know anything about. Let's talk about things we do know about. One of the things I do know is that Delilah Smalley is here. Good morning, Delilah. Good morning, Nick. So great to have you. Second hour. First hour is in the books. How did (laughs) you feel? Looking back on the first hour of the show, what was your biggest takeaway? Um, I really like those abridged stories and my, my biggest takeaway is, you know, not to be afraid to try something new, I guess. And, you know, take a little leap of faith. So thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I I am a leap of faith. I'd like to say that. Um, you may not be thanking me much longer because we do have to do a a segment here. Uh, of course, uh, bad business ideas. So we'll play the song. Okay. Bad business ideas, it's time to pick just one. It's gonna be totally legal, we hope it won't hurt anyone. So come on, have some fun. Yes, bad business ideas, the fruitcake of the corporate world. Delilah, may I call you Delilah? Yes. Great. Yes. So what That's we're going to do, oh, thank you. For that. Oh, I didn't mean it like I didn't mean it like that. No, no, no. I I get it. I get it. You don't have to call me like Urban or you know Miss Smalley. I, I f- <laughs> just I want you to feel comfortable yeah. because what I'm going to do here is pitch you a couple of ideas and see which one you like better. See if you can help me develop them, evolve them, refine them, and then invest in them, which is what your job is going to be. I don't know if you read the fine print about being on the show. Oh, I'm now an investor. You have to invest in whichever oh. one you choose. Oh. Not only money, but your time as well. Okay. Well, let's, let's hear them. I guess we'll see what they are. And then if it becomes too much, maybe I'll just have to go get some water. And uh, Okay, great. Yeah, the slip, the good old slip. The good old, the good old radio <laughs> and dash. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> New Year's Eve is coming up. And from what I understand, some people uh, 
overdo it a little bit during New Year's Eve. Uh, I always drink exactly the correct amount, which is one of everything. Uh, product uh, is coming out to try to help people with that. Uh, and they typically cater to children, specifically in many cases, babies. So they're launching an adult version to help people who might over-imbibe, whether it's on New Year's or anything else, but they're launching for New Year's. Do you know what product I'm talking about? I do not. It's Pedialyte, an adult version of Pedialyte. Are you familiar? Yeah, it hydrates you. And And it's mainly for uh, kids. So Pedialyte Sparkling Rush Powder which I have, we could talk about the name of this for an hour just alone because it sounds like some sort of weird drug. It, uh, it's now on the market. You mix it with water and it helps you with your electrolytes and you know other things that you might lose during the course of uh, becoming dehydrated from drinking too much. Um, and maybe you just don't like Gatorade, I guess, is why you would drink that. Now, having said that, so Pedialyte has the hydration angle. Mm-hmm. What are some other things that we can bring to adults that are inspire, inspired by babies, right? So I have a list. I don't know if you have any off the top of your head. Uh, not, not currently. Let's hear your list. Cribs. How great would it be to go to sleep, no electronics, just some sort of like little music playing, but you're trapped in there. You can't get out of your bed. Yeah, no, I don't think I would like that. No, like Mm-mm. a forced nap? Mm-mm. Interesting. But if there's like a middle-of-the-night emergency or, uh, I mean, maybe for sleepwalkers might, might be good okay. for them. I would, uh, I feel like, you know, if I could be swaddled as well, <laughs> that would be and have a little mobile. pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe not cribs. Onesies, bibs. I think they're already doing the onesies. Uh, we just recently had pajama day at my school. A bunch of my what? students wore onesies. Yeah, they have like adult onesies. They do. Yeah, they this do. Is, I'm not. I'm not up on you the should, latest you stylings. I you probably get, get like a Grinch would, one. You know, I or, would get one today if I can. If anything's still open. Uh, what about bibs? Do you think that that's something that would really catch um, on as far as uh, for for some people? I mean, especially if they do like those those crawfish boils or whatever but i think a lot of people just do that with napkins or they've kind of learned how not to spill things but yeah i don't know some people still i've seen people in restaurants instead of putting the napkin on their lap definitely i've they seen tuck them tuck it, it. yeah okay so but you I, don't think we can make this proud. kind of a stylish yeah they might be too proud to like officially wear a bib like you Got know because you have to bring it and put it on and take it home um, but yeah, that does sound gross. That does sound like carrying around a handkerchief. A little, little embarrassing. I think yeah. the handkerchief's classy though. You know, it's good to have for an emergency. Uh, uh, no, you pin that in your pocket afterwards. I mean, it's just, like, it's not to say to, that you, sh- it's kind of gross. It is gross to put it in your pocket, but it's kind of a nice thing to have with you in case someone, you know, needs it. Okay. I, in case somebody needs to make a bindle and go on the road <laughs> as a hobo. I like it. That too, yeah. All right, how about teethers? Any kind of teething toy? I feel like as a teacher, maybe you have some kids who are, um, you know, have some nervous energy in class. They can start chewing on those. If I have meetings with people, I don't want them to talk. Um, I can give them a teether (laughs) and they'll be quiet. Um, You can have mints. I'm not sure a teether would work out. No. Okay. So, so far, going the baby angle isn't working. Let's try idea number two. Okay. All right. 
what is the biggest problem with your produce that you buy and you bring home? Um, right, it goes bad. Not really. I mean, I kind of eat our produce, but sometimes there's like bad spots on things mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, some of them will taste, taste funny sometimes, but... But for me, what happens is I buy it. Sometimes I forget it. It's in your drawer. It's and in my it drawer. The bananas. Yeah, I'm not really sure when people. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's what I'd common. like to do is put. Um, you know, we're talking about internet uh, of the home, uh, uh, internet of the things. Right, smart homes. So internet of the produce, a produce tracking system, where it actually. <laughs> how ripe is it? Yeah. You can how check ripe in on is the it? App. I love it. How ripe is it? And you could, yeah, put an app on your phone and just, you just check put in some with the sort bananas. Of little sensor on the banana, and then it'll alert you. Like, and it'll be annoying <laughs> a alert. notification. It will start beeping incessantly until you do something with that yeah. banana, whether it's freeze them, start playing the banana whether song. Whether it's uh, yes, whether it's going into a smoothie of some kind, uh, something along those lines. So yeah. you're not wasting produce anymore. Yeah. All you have are these a bunch of different sensors that you have to keep charged up all the time. And it's incredibly expensive. Did I mention that? Yeah. I mean, like those sensors with uh, that go in the ground to see how moist the soil is. Exactly and then, like yeah. that. And yep. then they, they water I mean, it. you'll have to figure out how the sensors work. So oh. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I you mean, also have to invent all, like I've invented any of this stuff. <laughs> You have to create the market and do all that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's not that's not exactly my forte. I mean, I am a creator. I can, I can maybe you know you know that bananas and pajamas song. I that, uh, it sounds great. Please don't sing it. Yeah, I'm not going to sing. I'm not. That's not that's not my forte either. But um, yeah, that can, that can be your notification. I can maybe uh, the most thing I might be able to do is just just talk about the idea with you. You know, like those moral mm-hmm. support people. Mm-hmm. They're like they can kind of encourage uh the thought process but i'm not sure that i can actually what i'm hearing from you is it's not going to be a technology solution yeah it's going to be a human solution so we actually put somebody in your house to keep an eye (laughs) on your produce for you they just do a quick they just come in they check in on your produce and then they leave and they just give you a quick update hey you may want to have that romaine tonight um or you can do like you know those little blink cameras that are small wireless sure. yep you can maybe like monitor visually monitor like let me check in with the cucumbers today so you're looking at your who's where your package is at your door mm-hmm. you're looking at your bananas uh you're checking the nanny cam in case you have a nanny um and it's all in one place i like it yeah because i mean i don't know the sensors what if you accidentally like if it was on an apple and you were you know you ate the sensor you know if it were a digital yeah. i think the digital is more practical although i don't know what it would measure maybe emissions from the fruit don't they, they send out different a certain right like if, it, if a banana you know if it's like more ripe it sends out different chemicals i just you, know, you might so it doesn't have to be in the banana it could just be around the banana mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's interesting so um what's my time frame on on this or how would i uh so you know as a teacher i'm sure you're busy yeah. Um, so I know spring break is coming up. So if you could just get it done around then. Oh, I have actually have plans for spring break. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> Those will be canceled. Oh, my uh, my son's graduating a, a language program. So oh, great. We're going to be going to. Great. Yeah. So we can market this to different countries is what I'm hearing. Because <laughs> your son also, by the way, will be working for oh, wow. uh, this new organization. 
Yeah, well, it's been it's been great uh, talking with you. All right, so I'm Delilah, not, you're, sure. you're sidling towards the door. <laughs> I feel like Just that's a not a good shuffle. sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll talk about this offline. So what I'm hearing is track my produce. Yeah, um, you're good with that. You're going to invest into that, um, and I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the faith <laughs> that you're giving me in this idea. And as a teacher, you know, you just have all the time in the world. So this is going to be fantastic. (laughs) All right. So we'll come back. We're going to talk more about uh, your art. Uh, We're going to talk about more about uh, Urban Apothecary. And I want to learn about how that came about as well. So we're going to switch from bad business ideas to really, really good business ideas. (laughs) I'm going to say it to really, really bad business. (laughs) (laughs) No, I would not say that. Let's listen to a song. How about the Velvet Underground? Uh, Yeah, so far you're playing all all the bands I like. Okay, good. Sounds good. After Hours on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, you're listening to A Certain Degree. After four years on the air, Nick has interviewed nearly 200 amazing Orlando residents. It turns out there are many more that remain uninterviewed, and I'd like to change that. If you or someone you know would like to get up early on a Monday to be on the radio and chat with Nick for two hours, take your computer and point it at toacertaindegree.com. Now back to the show. The Velvet Underground with After Hours on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree. My name is Nick. Is that how they want them to say the name? The Velvet the Velvet Underground. Underground. I think that's how you the say velvet it. The Velvet Underground. <laughs> this is a something. Delilah it's like Smalley. everybody knows, yeah. Yeah, is my very special guest, Delilah. You might have seen her at different markets. You've almost certainly maybe seen her jewelry around town being worn by various people. That's an accurate statement. Various yeah. people do wear your jewelry. Yeah, sometimes I go out places and then... I, I see people yeah. and they're wearing it. And I'm like, wow, and thank you. You're often wearing it. And that's kind of where it started. You were wearing your own jewelry. You made your own jewelry. Mm-hmm. And uh, you told me the story because you were at Seven Bites yesterday doing a market. And Trina, what did Trina say to you? So Trina is, of course, the person behind Seven Bites. One of the people, the main person behind Seven Bites. There's a lot of people who uh, do amazing things there. Yeah. It, um, well, with her, she saw the jewelry that I was wearing and um, she was just like, oh, you should really uh, make a business out of that. Like, this is, it's really unique and it's really cool. And and I, and although I already had like the, the confidence, like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm making something that's cool. I never really thought about like doing it business, business, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then it was just kind of like, you know, when one thing happens and then the other things kind of trickle around it. And it kept happening within that week. People, um, so my Samantha, who is with Market on South? Um, she she kept telling me to, and she's like, "Oh, you should be." They were just opening. She's like, "You should be one of our vendors here." I mm-hmm. really like that. I've never really seen jewelry like this, and then just people in like I would go to you know a coffee shop or I would go somewhere. It was just kind of back to back, and people would be like, "Hey, where did you get that?" And I'd be like, "Oh, you know, I I made it." They're like, oh, can I, where can I find it? Like, how do I get it? And I'm like, well, it's just like for me, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, and then I was thinking about it when I was younger, I used to do photography and I was like, you know, I did that as a business and I was like, maybe I could do this and kind of having market on South open the door, um, Trina's comments to kind of, you know, just kind of push like, yeah, it's that kind of switch of like, 
I, I could do this as, as a business also. And just, you know, some of my first jewelry I made as a teenager was like from my rock collection. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just kind of like an extended, extended version of that. So. so it's very unique, and I don't want to say you just make one type of thing because you, you make a, a bunch of different things, but one of the things you're known for are the little, I, I would describe them, and I hope this isn't inaccurate, as <laughs> no, almost mini terrariums. Yeah, yeah. Right? So like necklaces and uh, earrings and things of that nature. Is that yeah. relatively accurate? Yeah. They're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did you, let me ask you, cause you mentioned rocks earlier. So this was from your rock collection and you do some stuff with crystals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Where did the terrarium idea come from and how did that come about and how difficult was that to make? Um, well, I mean, don't tell me all your secrets. Oh, we don't I cannot put that out tell there. you my secrets, but I'm sure there's seven herbs and spices that you <laughs> use in each one that are incredibly secret. That's why we call you the Colonel. Oh my God. Let's get that started. <laughs> Everyone called Delilah colonel. the Colonel. When you see me on the streets, yeah. the Colonel. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But no, um, yeah, I, I, teaching in my high school, I started our garden program. Mm-hmm. And so I've always really loved plants. And when I first started teaching. All plants or just certain plants? Because um, plants are a big listener. I just want to make sure if you're. Not hurting, like all inclusive with uh, all the Eliminating plants. some of the plants out there. Yeah, I mean. I specifically like like native Floridian plants and, and edibles and things like that as far as, you know, rosemary. And mm-hmm. so I was a little more partial to food that you can eat. So um, that way I, I made my house kind of, you know, full of those sort of things with raised garden beds. And so when I first started teaching full time, my students would make fun of me a lot. They'd be like, what do you do this weekend? Plant something? Ho, ho, ho. And I'd be like, um, what do you do? Stare at a light? Like. You know, anyway, and so after a while, though, they're like, hey, actually, you know, could you teach me how to do that? Um, And so, you know, with running my garden program and just thinking about plants all the time and um, and I was just, you know, I'm always making something, whether Mm -hmm. it's like hideaway books or I'm learning how to bind books or like just knitting anything. And and and, um, just seeing the different like little jars and things, I was like. I started first with my little jars, putting like fabric and like little um, like bones, like different stranger things in there, like different stranger things. Yeah, literally stranger things. (laughs) Strange things in there. And like I would suspend things from the cork and I started like I would crochet my cords. And um, I used to work at Deco's when I was younger and we had our own accounts. And so a lot of my consignment stuff that I would sell there was like vintage things and handmade jewelry. And so I was doing that already, but it wasn't like an official business. Mm -hmm. And so I was making little things and putting them in the jars. And then when I started teaching, I was like, oh, I bet I could, you know, just like having always having the plants in my mind from running the garden program. I was like, I bet I could, you know, in those jars I was using before, I bet I could keep a plant alive in there. Um, it took me a little while to figure out because at first starting with different things, you know, wasn't um, wasn't maintaining the way that it looks, you know. Right. So you want it to stay the certain like color, a certain and, color, yeah. and not you know covered in mud and right and all of that. But yeah, uh, and, and then it took me about maybe four to six months, and and I and I had it, and now I've had some going over over six years that look just the same. So really, it's kind of yeah, and because I had. Uh, 
already been in doing doing them when it was kind of suggested like hey you should do that as a business i've never seen something like that so so That's yeah pretty they amazing. really they really hold their own what it, well and i like the that you had sort of the science experiment aspect of it as well um, because i think that's a big part of what i would see as jewelry is not just the art of it it's the how does how do certain things react with one another yeah um whether you're casting molds or something along those lines but mm-hmm. you really brought it to another level in terms of the you want to make sure that something stays alive in your jewelry yeah it's kind of like the learning curve of oh this doesn't work this didn't work so what what will and just continuing the the experimentation of it, I think that kind of adventures is fun for me. Yeah. So I was curious about this because you can make so it's jewelry, so it's typically um, something people are buying for themselves, or you know, oftentimes they're buying as a gift for mm-hmm. someone, and so there's there's meaning behind it. So some people may be uh, may have an affinity for something specific, uh, whether it's like, I, I, you know, somebody wears a lot of compasses or somebody wears a lot of yeah. this, that, or the other. Was there a specific meaning that you assigned to a piece of jewelry where something grows or lives in it? And do you ever hear from people like when people assign their own sort of meaning that you're surprised by? Um, I think for me with the plants and, and some with my, my stonework and that stuff too, it's just like a reminder, even when you're like busy, you know, I like little kind of reminders and cues to keep my focus. And, um, it just kind of is is a reminder to, even if you're busy or, you know, you're, maybe you stayed inside all day. Like it kind of just is a centering sort of, um, sentiment, mm-hmm. having the plants. And I know people talk about, I don't know how I feel about um, specifically with the different stones. And I, I think it's really interesting, like the different uh, the meanings, applications, applications and power yeah. that they might have. Yeah. But I do have a certain connection with certain stones and, and, and with my terrariums and, and all the stuff that I make. I feel like it has its own kind of life force for, for whatever, for lack of a better term. And yeah, for me, it's a kind of centering um, to use like a pottery term, it like mm-hmm. keeps me uh, connected with nature, and it's just kind of like a it, it brightens up my day. Even if I don't get to spend time outside, it's kind of like I have some of that with me. So, so a little yeah. bit of energy in your pocket or around your neck, or yeah, and it just it it, it affects the way that I I feel, I guess, as far as like um, that centering. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then I, I've had different people, too, um, that I've met. At, I, one of the reasons I love events is just meeting all the different people and um, a lot of their reactions and, and, and thinking of their person they know who loves plants and that it would be, like, perfect for. Or um, It's just kind of nice that it strikes a chord with people. It's kind of a connecting mm-hmm. element, I feel like, that, that kind of to unite in a kind of nature. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's nice to just to hear people's stories and, and who it reminds them of. It's kind of like, it brings out a little bit of that literature in me, like hearing a little from, bit of a storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Like hearing from different people and who it reminds them of and why. Yeah. And like, um, you know, what kind of person it is that thinks of that person. And then I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And, and I really enjoy it. So. It's very cool. I think that um, having done a few markets myself, I don't know if you feel the same way. It is, 
it's so much more powerful to me to have the one-on-one connection with the person who's buying it, whether it's a gift or whether it's for them. Yeah. Um, that I, I, I don't know that retail would be as interesting. Yeah. Like if you're just selling something and I know, you know, it's great that you have your stuff at market on South, but if I could interact with everybody who's buying something that I make, yeah, that's so much fun. Yeah. And then they can ask you questions and it's also been really cool because, um, I, I, on my Instagram stories, I'll post, you know, sometimes I'll post like, Oh, I'm making these or I'm doing this or I'll take requests. And then to be at the events and have someone be like, like, for example, there's a large leaf platter I recently made. Mm-hmm. And, um, when I was at an event, someone came up and like, Oh yeah, I saw you making that on Instagram. And I'm, you know, I'm so happy to have this now and to have seen like the transformations that it makes. And that's a really cool thing to, to have someone, uh, you know, get, you know, purchase something of yours that they like watched you create it. And then you just kind of, I feel like it builds community more to have that face to face, like, Hey, I created this. And, and, and also among the other makers, just meeting other people that maybe that are in their house, always making things or, you know, it gives you an opportunity to engage more with the community and, and have more um, substantial community connections, I guess, as far as like, like you said, like it's a face and a person and, and like you're actually getting to engage with them. And right. so, yeah, I really like that aspect. I would love if we could come up with a, you know, not necessarily etiquette. I think everybody's pretty cool at markets. It's more along the lines of make people comfortable with coming up and talking to the vendors. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes, and I used to be like this too, where I would, you know, kind of avoid eye contact. I would take a look at the table and keep walking because I didn't want to um, engage with the person because I didn't want to feel like they were selling to me. Yeah. But at the markets, it's not really like that. It's really about people wanting to share how they made these things. And if you want to buy something, great. Yeah. But I can talk about 3D printing and typewriters all day. Right. So if you just want to come, maybe that's why they don't come up to me at markets. (laughs) I know they do. I've seen them. Um, yeah, I feel like it's more human to human and sometimes it can, you know, the conversation can be not related to your work at all. Yeah. And then other times it is like how you made something. And I think it's really, it it is good to encourage that kind of dialogue and for people to feel like, Hey, I can come over and ask you a question and I can talk to you and not just, you know, sometimes I think also for me before I went in markets, I would feel like if I went up and talked to them, I was kind of like obligated to buy buy something. something. Yeah. And so I would be like, oh, I don't know, like if I really am not even sure how much they are or like if I really want that. And so, yeah, I think it's markets are good for kind of breaking down those those barriers. And I definitely would say it's good to go over and just talk to people and human to human. Go talk to people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the key message from. the Oh, and go to your website and buy some of your stuff. <laughs> Well, yeah, when it's back up. For now, you know, Instagram and and Etsy. (laughs) So let's talk about that. So Urban Apothecary. Uh Uh-huh. And it's .org. Yeah. And then you're on the Instagram. That's a great way to follow you and see the stuff that you're working on and see the pieces that you have out and the history of it a little bit. And it's Urban underscore Apothecary. Some other Urban Apothecaries are kind of popping up, which I have to investigate with my... With, my, uh, with your legal team? With my legal team, Do you yeah. want me to... Uh, my here, I'm going to crack my knuckles. Yeah, thanks. Crack them into the microphone. I tried, but I missed it. <laughs> I we heard a little bit talking. of the echo, yeah. 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 Dang it. But yeah, so it's urban underscore apothecary. 
and then um, you're also on the Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, but Etsy is a good way to follow you as well. Yeah, and if, you, if people ever see anything on Instagram that they don't have on Etsy, then people have encouraged me to put more of my pottery on there. And mm -hmm. there's currently I don't have any pottery on there because I just bring it to the markets or I bring it to market on South. Um, but yeah, so if you, but if people see anything they want like on Instagram or if they have an idea, they can always like reach out to me. What I think would be great is if you keep it separate, right? You have the jewelry on Instagram and then I think the pottery should have its own account on Twitter, but instead of being <laughs> pictures of the pottery, it should be like the pottery as a character yeah. talking about current events. And and they can cross mention talking about current, we're back, talking back to about bad business ideas. All sorts of stuff. Uh-huh. You know, this is a bad marketing idea is really yeah. what it comes down to is, you know, I don't think that any pottery is being represented anthropomorphically on Twitter. <laughs> right. Hey, I think I have a task for you. What's that? I can uh, give you some pottery and, and you can bring them to life. OK, you know? yeah, I will do that. OK, through the magic of Twitter. Because there's nothing that brings us together quite like uh, Twitter. Yeah, I have um, an urban apothecary Twitter that is just nothing on yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, basically, I'm just reposting stuff on mine as well. So let's listen to a song. Okay. This is Chet Faker. Faker? Yeah, he, uh, Faker. No, it's an Australian guy who goes by the name of Chet Faker, which sounds like Chet Baker. I think that's why he picked the name. Oh. And this is gold, which is all of our ideas and all of your products. Products? I'm not sure how to say words today. Uh, but all of your ideas and everything from Urban Apothecary is gold. It's not literal gold. I'm just saying like uh, uh, figurative. It's great. It's awesome. It's gold. <laughs> Thank this you. This is really confusing. Some of the stuff is gold, though. Yeah, there is a lot of gold like in my displays and things, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so I feel like and I actually put some gold on my work, like actual gold. Thoroughly confused everybody <laughs> in terms of what your product looks like. Like I have brush on, you know, you, you have put brush it on. on gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can melt it. Bog, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Chet Faker with gold on WPRK Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a Certain Degree. Radio host, copywriter, podcaster, public speaker small business consultant, teacher. You know Nick as having mad interview skills. Did you know he does many, many other things? If you want to learn more about him and what he's up to, and maybe hire him for a project, visit toacertaindegree.com. Now back to the show. Chet Faker on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Certain Degree. That was gold. And there's a pause afterwards. That's and how, a little grimace. Uh, Gold. Duh. Duh. Just maintain the facial expression of the duh. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm here with Delilah Smalley. Uh, we're almost done. Delilah, I'm going to have to release you back into the world soon. Are you yeah. ready for that? Yeah. I, I mean, just come look for me, you know, out in the world. But. You'll be somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You'll be part of that somewhere. What else do we need to talk about? I know that, you know, so it's easy to kind of try to sum somebody up, but you're one of those people that wears so many hats. Um, and it's, it's because you're interested in a lot of different things. It's because you're uh, looking to grow, looking to um, better your, better yourself is kind of strong. It's, it's really because you have, you have a lot of different interests 
and you want to explore them. So you just recently finished your MFA mm-hmm. um, in writing. Uh, you, uh, I think you got back into pottery, if I remember correctly. You and I talked a little bit about it uh, way back. So you've been doing it for years, but it wasn't something you were doing on a day-to-day basis. And then you got back into it and started teaching. Um, you're doing the jewelry uh, and you know, you're also working for or helping out with Borough Press as well. Yeah. Usually with, with the pottery, you kind of come in spurts. Like, okay, I, I mean, have, I've had my wheels since I've been 19, Yeah. but just having like that daily or even sometimes it would be like a month would go by and I wouldn't have a chance to really make anything. So, so yeah, been sp- focusing more with the pottery, but yeah, I, I do, um, with Borough Press, I, I started out, I, I'm their art editor for Borough Press and, for people who, a lot of people don't know who Borough Press is. And so actually over a couple markets recently, um, last last Sunday, um, not as in yesterday, but the week before, we did Grandma Party and I yep. shared a booth with, with, you know, with Borough Press and Secret Society Goods. And um, and then yesterday I was talking to someone about Borough Press and like, who's Borough Press? And so if for anybody who might be listening that doesn't know who Borough Press is, they are our local publishing company and... Um, I work for them as their as the art editor, and I started with them doing photography. They, Borough Press started in 2010, mm-hmm. and um, I used to always go to regular uh, readings, and that's kind of where I came in contact with them. And yeah, they run a, a, a quarterly reading series called Functionally Literate, and um, you may have seen that around town. And we just bring authors from all over. And well, and a local author usually and as a local, well. yeah, mm-hmm. which is really nice because you get that. It's nice to have the the national authors, the international authors come in, but really, um, Borough Press. The thing I love about them is they're not the only publishing house in Florida, but as far as literary publish, independent literary publishing houses, it's the only one in Florida. If I'm, uh, yeah, if to I, the best of my knowledge, yeah. also. Yeah, and and they we also um, we run Fantastic Floridas, which really encourages Florida writers, and um, you can look up, look that up online. But mm-hmm. um, I, I as an art editor, I write about um, Florida artists, and and I also um, pair the stories with artwork. So if we're publishing a poem, you know, and is this on the website or is this? Yeah, on and, the website. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can find it on on dot com. I and then, it. yeah. So, how do you want people to connect with you as far as artists go, or what can they do if they want to, you know, potentially reach out to you? Um, people can contact me at uh, Delilah at borrowpress dot com, and um, you can. And I, I would really like if anybody, you know, sees an artist or, you know, all because living in Orlando, it kind of limits me. I'm not always running around Tallahassee or Miami or Tampa or other places in Florida where there might be talented artists. I, I like to showcase artists. And um, I also am looking for people um, when we're publishing stories. I've had a couple, like a classroom tutor of mine who's really good at drawing, and I had her draw some artwork to accompany um, a, oh, story. a story. Yeah, oh, by, cool. by Kristen Arnett. That, so, yeah. So I, I would also like like photographers and artists. That's kind of how I started with Braille Press, is taking pictures that, that matched stories they were publishing. So I would read the story. And I would kind of get a sentiment that I could capture in film. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I started. So any photographers, too, that maybe want to, like, publish with, 
with stories. I'm trying to schedule it out a little, a little further in advance so I can give them like, you know, a deadline and here's the story or here's a topic that's going to be for this particular month. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. And so I do that and any kind of artist, anyone that, you know, would have anything they'd want to talk to me about. It's Delilah at at borougherpress.com. Very nice. Education is very important to you as a teacher, as someone who just finished her MFA. Mm-hmm. When you were coming out of high school, what was the expectation uh, that you had for yourself, that other people had for you, and what did you end up doing? Straight out of high school? Yeah. Um, did you think, I, I have 100% have to go to college, there's no other way uh, to do that? or no. So what happened? I mean, I, I moved out four days after I graduated mm-hmm. and I went and stayed with my, my father for a little while in Hawaii. I had just met my father when I was, when I was 16. So I knew him a couple of years. And so, yeah, for me, um, it was more like I needed to, to get out of my house. I was more like pushed towards independence than, than school right away. Um, as I mentioned, I kind of, you know, took care of my sister and raised my sister and, um, my mom has some different struggles and issues with, with drugs and things like that. So I really just wanted to be out of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't start college till I was 20 actually. Okay. But when I was like 18, 19, I worked like three jobs. I paid for my own apartment. I, when I came back from Hawaii, I, I adopted my sister for a little while. Um, yeah. So for me, it was more like, uh, setting my own foundation and then moving forward from that. So did I started that, college when I was 20. Did that give you, you felt like the foundation you needed to be better at college, to be a better yeah, college student? Because I, I didn't want to go in. I think a lot of people sometimes go in out of expectation. Like I have to do this, but they don't really know what they want to do. And so for me, I just kind of took that breath and like, you know, I got my own space and uh, kind of built, built that foundation. And then I, and then I decided like, Oh, I want to, do this and so yeah and so from there 20 years old going to college how long did it take you was it a four-year experience or it was a six-year experience for me yeah because I I had my son when I was 23 a week later I turned 24 we're a week apart so my birthday is on Halloween he's like a week before me and his dad's a week before him so we're like all a week apart but um but yeah so that kind of was another another challenge because I was, you know, it's not a typical college experience. It was more like, okay, I have the babysitter for this long. I have class at this time. I have to get this done and then I need to be home and I had to I had to pay for all of that myself. Mm-hmm. So I, had a, I got a lot of college paid for through grants. Um, but, you know, I still had to pay all of my bills and work full time. So it did take me a little bit longer, but um, I, for most of the time I was in college, managed to work full time and have classes full time. There's just little gaps where I'd have to take, you know, sometimes take, take a semester fewer. off. Yeah. I never took, I would sometimes take one class. I didn't take any semesters. Oh, off. very nice. Did you At feel like, summer. did you feel like the, the momentum was important? Yeah. I just really wanted, once I real you know, for me, once I realize what I want, I want to accomplish it. And so I'll just, even if I, you know, like the Martin Luther King quote, like if you can't run, walk, if you can't walk, crawl, like you have to like, for me, I had to keep pushing forward, even mm-hmm. if that semester I can only take like one class or something. I wanted to make sure I was still taking them, even with like a an infant waking up every two hours to breastfeed. I was like, I got to get to class. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> so several years later, you what prompted this decision to go back for your master's? 
Um, for the master's, actually, uh, I've been looking at different programs, and I originally, um, I, like in college, I was one credit away from a minor in linguistics, and so um, I thought about originally getting my master's in linguistics, like in TESOL. I was trying to look at something like at UCF, and then... Um, it seems very applicable to uh, teaching. For teaching. Uh, yeah, well, and education. When I was younger, too, I, like I said, I mentioned I, I taught English in Thailand, and so... Um, before I had my son, I had considered like teaching abroad and, and when I had him, it kind of, you know, shifted that, that plan. But when I was thinking about my master's, I was like, well, he's a little older now, you know, it's, you know, maybe. And then, uh, one of my professors had said that he would write it. I had two professors. You have to have two letters of recommendation. Mm-hmm. And, and the one was like my favorite professor and she pulled through like, you know, right away. And the other one said that he would. And it just didn't, it didn't happen. And I was like, well, he's one of the people in the program. And if he's not writing this letter, like maybe I don't want to do this program, you know? Oh, so it was almost like a sign. Yeah. And I don't think he did it like intentionally. I think yeah. he was just really busy, sure. you know? But it kind of like, you know, I don't know. It kind of pulled me back from that. And then um, Jared, Sylvia, who uh, also helps out with, with Borough Press and he, you know, helps with reading some fiction and he runs, helps run the, the, the functionally literate events. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking to me about, I had seen like the, the low residency Tampa, um, but he mentioned to me that Stetson was starting uh, an international program, a low res international program and teaching full time. I couldn't really just go to class whenever right. and being a mother, same. So um, he mentioned that program to me and, and it, uh, it just seemed right up my alley and it, it actually gave, you know, gave me a lot of chances to, see, you know, I got to go to South America. I got to go to Central America out of everybody in my program. I became a Sullivan scholar and I won a scholarship to go to Portugal. So it was my first time in Europe. So just kind of like just the idea of like traveling and, and doing it uh, remotely, like as far as my work, it gave me the flexibility that I needed. And so that's kind of, so Borough Press also kind of brought me into my master's program, considering that it was, you know, Jared and, and Ryan, you know, Very he's cool. one of my people that wrote me a letter of recommendation. Yeah. And so, what, yeah. I think what's neat about that is that international experience that sort of, and especially when you're a little bit older, gives you a completely different perspective. Yeah. Um, and then uh, just for anybody who's listening that may not know what low residency uh, is, it doesn't mean that you live there. Right. It just means that it's uh, the time you spend on campus. Yeah. And what we would do is we would submit assignments uh, online. So once a month we would submit our pages and then we would meet um, at our house with our professor, either on the, on the phone or a lot of times we use Google Hangouts Mm -hmm. and we would just face to face and they'll just go through and give you feedback and line edits on all of your work. And then we did, uh, 10 day residencies twice a year. And the one in the summer, um, the one in the winter is at the ACA at the Atlantic center for the arts, which is really cool. You have, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. You have open studio access 24 hours a day. You have, it's a lot of work cause you're, you know, 12 hours a day working. Um, and then in the summers it's in another location. So the first one I, I started in, in Mexico and so wow, you fly great. to Mexico and yeah. Um, did you have a sort of thesis project, like a final big, uh, project and what was that on? Yeah. Um, my final project, I graduated with my, I started in, I, when I first started, I wanted to do a semester of poetry, a semester, a semester of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up, then I would decide between the two and I ended up staying with prose. Uh, it's a little 
it was more challenging for me. And so I, I like to do kind of, I'm kind of like go the harder route person, you know, like what's going to help me grow the most. Right. And so, yeah, at this point it's your master's. So you yeah, should be challenged by it. I wanted it to be something that, you know, I really had to work at. And so, um, for me, there's a kind of like safety in, in poetry cause you can be vague and you can, you know, you don't, you don't have to explain Mm-hmm. and uh, with fiction, it kind of takes that away. And so when I first started, I was like doing... Oh, that's the problem with all my fiction. <laughs> okay, you know, now I know. Like doing, I started with doing prose poems and then doing like short, short like prose excerpts of like a scene mm-hmm. um, and then writing about a little more controversial topics regarding like uh, with violence or different, just different things. And... Um, I wrote a lot of, I didn't really, you know, sometimes when you don't realize what you'll write about until you're writing about it. And then you have like people sitting around you saying, you write a lot about poverty and violence. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I I can see that. Um, but yeah. And then, so my final project, uh, is, is nightmares and it's, um, nightmares like K and I. Okay. Yeah. And so it's just a short, a short novel. And so for my final reading in, in Brazil, I read from that, I read chapter one from that. So, yeah. Is that something you're still working on or is that you yeah. feel like you're done with it? I'm not completely finished with it. No, yeah. I am still working on it. And um, I'm also working on other projects. For me, like even in the program, I would work on little short stories on the side. Um, just as kind of a breath from what I would be writing about. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and just that kind of, I feel like even with reading, sometimes people, when you start a book, they'll just push through and like, they'll want to finish it. There's like those different kinds of people, right? Either they'll start it and they'll want to read it all the way through, or they might start it and read some. And then if it's not clicking at that moment, they'll put it down and pick something else up and like come back when it's the right time. And so for me with my projects with writing, like I kind of do it like more like the latter, like where I'll, I'll write this project until it's kind of adult and then I will take a breath from it and work on other things and then I'll come back and, and that gives me a chance to have like a fresher perspective. Set of eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise you become maybe married to an idea or you get stuck on something and yeah. you can't let it go. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice for everything. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you Thanks. so much. Uh, yeah. Delilah, we got to go. All right. Well, um, I had a really great time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, you're a delight to talk to just as I am. So I feel like that was a (laughs) a mirror almost. We're almost the same person in many ways. We look a lot alike also. A lot alike. We both wear glasses. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We both have teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, Yeah. So org. Um, urban underscore apothecary on Instagram to find out more about you, to follow you. I would encourage everybody to do that because your stuff is really, really remarkable. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm hoping, you know, by the end of January is my goal to have my website back up and completely, you know, refreshed. But yeah. Instagram January 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to January, end of January, 2019. Yeah, that would it would be passed to be be over and I would have failed. But <laughs> All right, very good. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um I will be back next week. I'm going to be doing a New Year's Eve show with uh, Elliot from Orlando Meats. So we'll be talking about meat. We'll be talking about I'm basically going to try to trick him into inviting me to whatever party he's going to on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Cuz right now I'm kind of 
party list. And I'll bring the Pedialyte. Yeah. The, for adults. The, yeah, a, a sparkling, sparkling fizz rush. Yeah. yeah. Before it's people were just doing Alka-Seltzer, you know, and so now there's no official I love product. this idea. I mean, it does sound magical. Pedialyte sparkling rush powder. Yes. Which powder. makes it even more dangerous, I think. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Okay. You've been listening to a certain degree. Go forth and present. <laughs> and that's the show. Thanks for listening to a certain degree. Follow us on Instagram. Just search for To A Certain Degree. And if you like that Instagram, follow Brand Knuckles as well. That's the intersection of 3D printing and small business branding. Maybe three dimensions are better than one or, or two, I guess. Maybe they're also better than four. I'm not sure. Also, check out ToCertainDegree.com. That's T-O-A, CertainDegree.com. Until next time, don't take any wooden nickels.